2: Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here on the Smart Investing Show. We got a lot of important things to cover here. Uh, Guys, kick off the show, talking about inflation numbers, the CPI, the PPI came out, consumer price index, producer price index came out. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Also, real estate investment trusts. We're going to discuss that. Uh, time to invest in those or not? And then well this uh past week here the bitcoin etf came out we're gonna discuss that and with me is chase chase wesley
3: yep good to be here as always and uh you know we're here to break down those companies that are i'm gonna say kind of popular in the news we're we're gonna take a closer look today at some uh bigger businesses here we're gonna take a look at nike we're also look at microsoft HPE, I'm not talking about HP Inc, the ones that do the printers is actually kind of a more of a cloud company here. And also too, uh, I'm going to say a, a big dumb boring company, which we typically like. Haven't looked at the numbers yet for it to see if it is a buy, sell or hold, but I'm talking about Conagra. It actually hasn't done that well over the last year. So we're going to take a closer look at those fundamentals. And as always, we want to take a closer look at those valuation ratios, make sure we're not overpaying for those businesses. And also too, want to look at those balance sheets, make sure they have good sound balance sheet so they can weather any downturns that may come about as well. And Jason, I, I do want to point out when we do those companies, it is
2: fresh. We don't plan ahead. I mean, we look at things that would be important for people to look at in the news, companies in the news. We don't know what we're going to see until we go through it. So you're hearing it live as we actually see it. So the reactions you hear from us, they're real when we see those numbers. So it's, it is a, a true analysis of
3: yeah, because I have no one. idea. I, I were was saying beforehand, I was like, "Huh, we kind of interested in Kanagra because we haven't looked at it in a long time," but. Those are generally the types of businesses we like to buy, so I'm excited to take a closer look at that one. I know you know, Microsoft's the one that's hot in the news. It's funny, I don't know the numbers on Microsoft, but I don't think it's going to be a buy, but we'll take a closer look. <laughs> you never know. We'll take a look at those numbers. But uh, let's talk about what's going on in the economy. We'll talk about the
2: inflation numbers. And first off, CPI, which stands for Consumer Price Index, while the headline inflation numbers were above estimates, I wouldn't say there was really any surprises in the CPI report. Headline CPI rose 3.4% versus the estimate of 3.2, and core CPI rose 3.9% versus the estimate of 3.8. Now, although it was slightly higher than anticipated, progress is still being made on the inflation fight and core CPI reached its lowest reading since may of 2021 that's a huge huge uh, important fact there as it has been the case for many months the shelter index was the major contributor to annual increases of 6.2 percent and that accounted for about two-thirds of the rise in inflation
3: and i gotta again emphasize that because we're still talking about inflation that is yes above the two percent target level for the fed But a lot of this is still coming from shelter. And I've been saying it for months, and I know at some point this year that that shelter index should not be in the 6% range. It should come down, which should help push the CPI report, the headline numbers, the core numbers to a more normalized level. So I'm keeping an eye out for that to really be a benefit to the the CPI reports in future months. Now, other areas that did remain problematic. Well, that included motor vehicle insurance. That was up 20.3% in the month. Admission to sporting events up 14.9%. I saw the NFL has kind of been... back in the news everybody likes to go to the NFL games again so records uh,
2: since 2015 I think
3: yeah, yeah. I, they're doing very very well and uh, obviously they can charge for it as people are paying for it so <laughs> what, do they, what do they get for a ticket now I don't even know oh so. I know I looked at going to a game at uh you know the gosh I'm blanking on the stadium up in LA uh to go see the Chargers game Sci-fi? SoFi, SoFi, so fi. yep SoFi. and gosh the ticket prices there are just crazy but like I said people are paying for them yeah and also to motor vehicle repair that was still up 10.3 percent in the month and I, I've said this before, but you look at motor vehicle insurance, until motor vehicle repair numbers comes down, Motor vehicle insurance will not come down as those insurance companies have to kind of adjust for those increase in prices. And we don't have it here today, but I know that California and New York, you will see higher rates that did pass through the state legislators there as well. Now, one other area I want to point out I found interesting was food. And I I say I found it interesting because the entire index increased just 2.7% from last year. But the divide between at home and away from home has really widened substantially. The at-home index showed an increase of just 1.3% compared to the away-from-home index, which grew 5.2%. Now, I believe this divide will remain due to the demand for dining out and the wage pressure restaurants and bars are facing. Overall, i got to say, though, I don't think this report moves the needle one way or another for the Fed, and I believe rate cuts will again start in the back half of this year.
2: And, and Chase, I believe that came out on Thursday, <clears throat> and, and the markets has got a little bit jittery, like, oh, they're not going to cut rates, and and actually I think they're saying there were some people that were way too optimistic that they're mm-hmm. gonna cut rates in like February, March. We said no, that's that's way too early. So it got nervous about that and, and that's fine because we, we're we talking about them cutting rates June, July. So we got plenty of time. We did not worry about that at all in our portfolio. <clears throat> I do wanna go back to the, the, the food thing here because food inflation you said uh, at the grocery stores, I guess when you're shopping for home, only up 1.3%, is that the number you said?
3: Yeah, I believe, uh, let's see, I got to go back to that number. But uh, yeah, 1.3% was the uh, food at home index.
2: And I want to explain to people, I think the CPI has, I don't know, like 6,000 different items into it. So you may say, well, that's not true because I paid more for this and more for that. I I heard the other day that eggs are down like 27%. So it depends what you're buying at the grocery store. So keep in mind when we give you these numbers, it may not be the exact things you're buying. But it is actually the index, and you could actually change your own inflation by saying maybe chicken is now less than beef or vice versa. When you shop at the grocery store, be wise about it because things will move.
3: Yeah, you got to be wise about it. And also, too, these numbers are compared to 2020. 2020- two well we're looking at december so right. december 2023 is compared to december 2022 a lot of times people make them no it's just crazy i'm looking <laughs> back at 2019 that again is not inflation inflation is looking year over year that's what yeah. you, you got to stop looking i mean you can go back to what this the 80s and look at oh you know it, no, inflation looks at year-over-year price increases. You can't look at you know a few years ago, as that is now in the past. We have to look at inflation essentially now moving forward.
2: And, and let's just hit on quickly before you move on to the PPI about the vehicle repair of 10.3%. You have to realize that part of the problem, too, is that uh, two things. One, the price of cars that people are buying are much higher than before. Yeah. And not just the price of cars, but people want more. They want cars that have all these bells and whistles on them i remember when i was younger you you know you would get a car that you wanted hubcaps not wheels and that would save you money so things have changed and also the repairs on cars now they've made it so difficult to where you may not just be replacing the bumper you can replace the bumper with the fender so a lot more things
3: on the cars it's not just the price of inflation well and you're talking about just even the i'm going to the the more stable parts we know about, not all the chips that are now in cars as well, that's got to be more expensive to replace. So definitely a good point. And I did want to go back real quick to those Fed rate cuts, because last week on the show, I sounded pretty (laughs) bullish on rate cuts. I wanted to still clarify, the reason I was kind of making the case was, I mean, if you look, the Fed has meetings in January, March, the end of April, June, July, September, November, December, I think starting in June, rate cuts will be hot or live. That's when they could potentially start. So that leaves five potential meetings for rate cuts. I don't think they're gonna cut at all five. My estimation is that I, if I had a bet on it today, I would look for four rate cuts in 2024. That's kind of where I'm at. That's what I think will happen. Yeah, and I,
2: I'm confident on three, four, I think is a good possibility. So we'll, and, and we'll see. And this is when you wanna start looking at where to invest. Don't wait till June when they cut. It's too late. Start looking now. You got to be a little patient when it comes to investing. Well, well, let's move on to the PPI, which is producer price index. And the big difference here is this is what producers see their increase. And this does not include the shelter. So this is how we know that we, we believe the shelter is going to come down and therefore CPI will be under control. Uh, there is good news on the inflation front as producer price index, PPI, showed an increase of just one percent compared to last year core cpi well i'll let you explain core ppi because it's 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 a little bit different
3: yeah and and the big thing with core ppi is that actually excludes food and energy and and energy as the prices have declined have now been a a big benefit to headline cpi and ppi so it's still good to look at both measures well that core level is up just two and a half percent compared to last year so pretty close to the feds target rate again of two percent and the reason this is important is it points towards more good news ahead on the inflation front, as the PPI is normally a great leading indicator. I mean, you think about it, this is what businesses are paying. So if they're not paying as much, they can still maintain margins without having to increase prices for their goods and services. So it's a benefit for the CPI down the road.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like getting a, a
3: peek at the future And and that's why, again, people say, oh, this is too high.
2: Like, Look at there's There's so many factors we look at when we're making our management decisions on where to invest, what to invest, the economy. PPI is a very important part because it gives you a preview of
3: what you could see down the road two, three months from the CPI. Yeah, and that was the big issue we saw. I mean, PPI back during the the supply constraints, I I think it hit, gosh, 11. I think 11% was the peak Mm -hmm. level it hit. And if you're a business, you can't afford to just take an 11% increase in your input costs and not pass them on to the consumer. People might be saying, oh, well, businesses aren't going to cut prices. Well, what that means then is they'll have very high margins, so then it'll attract other people to come into the market to compete in that field and lower prices. So this is a good news for business margins, which, again, should be a good benefit for the end consumer longer term.
2: Well, let's move on to REITs, Uh, and REITs stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. Uh, We like to buy REITs as opposed to actual real estate. There's a lot of benefits to that. You don't have to worry about the tenant leaving. You're having it all managed for you, Uh, so we like REITs. But uh, with what I believe was uh, the last rate hike of the cycle in the books, one area to evaluate is real estate. Uh, I'm not talking about the single-family homes or private investments, but rather looking at public real estate investment trust and again do not invest in the private ones they pay a big commission to the broker and you cannot get out of them make sure you're investing in a public real estate investment trust these trade on the stock exchange but instead of owning a business you will own the real estate that is bought within the trust i believe there are many great values in public real estate market at this time when analyzing cash flows that an investor receives and historically reits have outperformed the s p 500 index
3: by approximately four and a half percentage points actually here in the the 12 months following the last interest rate hike in the cycle. So as we're looking at here, the last three hiking cycles, REITs have had an average total return of 19% in the 12 months following the last hike in a cycle. Now, I believe the right real estate in the portfolio is a great area to look for value as we look down the road two to three years, not to mention many of these REITs have great dividend deals. So again, you look back at history, the 12 months following the last hike in a cycle, 19% gain. Well, some of these REITs are paying, gosh, eight, nine, some 10%. You get 19% total return on the, the price of that REIT, plus I'm gonna say an 8% return on the dividend yield. I mean, gosh, that's close to a 30% return. So I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish here on real estate as it, it is a, a big benefit to these public REITs. And, and as you said, you get some nice dividends from them.
2: And the old adge supply uh, applies here as well buy low and sell high and right now they are low so I know like oh this could happen that can happen make sure you are investing in a quality REIT but this is the time you want to do that and not look again where you'll be like in three months or six months but you will be two three four years down the road and in the meantime
3: you're collecting some nice
2: dividends. What you say the dividends were like 6 to 8% on the REITs? Some- I mean,
3: because we have some in the portfolio that, you know, I know one pays six, one pays eight. So, I mean, there's some good yields out there that you can find. But you have to be very careful as well. You talk about quality. Don't buy junk real estate. Right. That's going to kill you, especially as rates are now higher. You have to understand a lot of these real estate companies, they were able to build real estate footprints real estate portfolios with rates in 2-3% level, now that debt is coming due, if they have too much debt coming due and they can't refinance it, those are going to be very problematic. You want to avoid those types of real estate deals when you're you're investing and looking to invest in real estate.
2: And we always talk about investing in quality companies. You want to invest in quality real estate at all. Make sure you're not getting a, a REIT that has buildings. And I, I I read this this past week. I mean, there's buildings out there that were built in the 50s, 60s. You don't want to invest in that? You want to invest in the the stronger buildings where people want to go into. So. Be careful what you're investing that money into. Do the do the research. Well, Chase, we we <laughs> speaking we, of research. Yeah, speaking of research. Uh, well, this week was it Tuesday or Wednesday that they the uh, SEC approved the ETF oh. uh, Bitcoin? I think it was Tuesday. I think well, it was. no,
3: no, that, that's the the drama was Tuesday was approved and I'm doing air quotes on approved because it was a misleading post on X that it was overtaken for the SEC's account so they didn't really approve it and then I think they approved it officially Wednesday Wednesday okay
2: well well the hype for the 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 Bitcoin ETF is at all times high as the SEC has now approved them for investors Uh, we still understand or don't understand why people would want to buy an ETF that holds just one product like a Bitcoin but for those who do, the fees are out, and Fidelity has disclosed that they will charge 0.39% annually for holding the Bitcoin. Uh, their, T- their ETF competitor, Invesco and crypto firm Galaxy, will charge uh, what was it, 0.59% for holding Bitcoin.
3: And also, too, I'm sure you've heard of the, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which charges an annual fee of 2% on the assets. Well, they now have reduced that fee to 1.5% since it is now trading as an ETF. But I still believe this is hype, where the rumor will be far better than news. And also, too, I would not be surprised that for 2024, Bitcoin is still even with the pullback lately. Is currently trading around its highs for the years. And I say the pullback lately because you look back, the Bitcoin was approved. I'm not sorry, the Bitcoin. The Bitcoin ETF was approved. Yeah. And Bitcoin shot up to around 49000 I think. And then I saw, gosh, yesterday, the, the low was under forty-two thousand. that was yeah so friday it was was under you said it went under forty-two thousand. yeah yeah i
2: i i think and we've talked about this before that when the uh bitcoin futures came out uh, and and then there was something else that came out. It, it 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 was buy the rumor, sell the news. Because after that happened, it went down. I think we're gonna see the same thing here. We could see Bitcoin back down in the thirties.
3: I, I thirty thousand. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just crazy to me. I mean, you, you hear a lot of the speculation now, and, and this is what just drives me crazy with cryptocurrency. Is oh, oh no no no, now you gotta sell the Bitcoin and buy Ethereum because Ethereum's gonna now have the eat. And it's just like what are you buying at the end of the day? It just makes no sense. And these people are just chasing the next hot thing and the whole hype with the etf is that it's going to attract new investors i don't think that's going to happen and i think that's going to be the downfall for these etfs is in three four or five months if it hasn't garnered as much interest from the institutions and other people that aren't in bitcoin already well then this experiment was a failure and then that'll lose a lot of the steam for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and, and it's just that gambling chip, and that's all it is. I, uh, again, as you mentioned, a good point. They're selling Bitcoin now to buy Ethereum. Just because they think that's going to go up, there is nothing there for it. And eventually, this this whole thing will collapse. It's a house of cards. Can't tell you what's going to happen. And I don't see anything else that's going to come on, because now you got the, the Bitcoin ETF. There, there's nothing else I can think of that would be any positives for gambling reasons.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just, it blows me away. And and you look at crypto, oh, it's going to change because, you know, banking is just so expensive and, you know, it's going to be revolutionary. And I'm like, I look at it. So you're telling me you'd rather pay a 0.6% management fee every year for a currency? I don't know about you, but I bank it right now, First Republic gonna be JP Morgan Chase. I don't get charged a management fee every single month on my dollars. I just think it, it it's just a, a silly excuse and it's a gambling chip at the end of the day and congratulations has gone up. But if I'm you and you made money in Bitcoin, I'm selling. Yeah, and you, taking my profits. And I
2: think people did that on Friday. I think they said, wait a minute, I got some profits, I better sell and get out and that could be a snowball that continues because there's nothing else now that is going to give Bitcoin, the excitement I think it needs to do it. And I think now also too the truth will come out. I think anybody that wants to be in cryptocurrencies is there now. I just don't see a big
3: wave of people saying, I want to get a Bitcoin, I'll buy
2: an ETF. I just don't see that. Yeah. And
3: I did forget I looked at Coinbase because I forgot the the transaction fees. They charge like transaction fees of like point six percent for their pro account oh, per wow. trade. Wow. So, I mean, they were raking in a lot of money. I think this is really going to hurt a Coinbase. And they're saying, oh, well, they're now going to be the custodian for the Bitcoins. Well, I think they're going to lose a lot of transaction revenue. I mean, that that was a big moneymaker for them. You think about price of bitcoins gone up. You get 0.6% of every trade that somebody does. I, I think... The hype for crypto in 12 months, I don't know what the new hot thing is going to be to keep this thing going higher. You already got the ETF done. There's supposedly the halving, which I think is a bunch of just don't even know what hype that is. <laughs> exactly that goes on. I, I'd be very careful in crypto. And when I was on Fox 5 this past week, I said, you got to understand your investments, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand Bitcoin. They don't understand cryptocurrencies, and I think it's going to hurt a lot of investors when, when you look at the longer term.
2: Well, if you like this information, we have other information that this is all part of the newsletter that goes out every Friday at 5 o'clock. It is free. Uh, also, in the newsletter, we talk about the S&P 500, explaining more details about what's going on there. We're talking about oil drilling, AI AI startups, return policies at stores, and value and growth investing, understand the difference. It's a free newsletter. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That again is smartinvesting2000.com. All right, we're gonna change gears here and talk about financial planning. For that, we turn to our, our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. Harrison, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing?
2: Good, good. I know we got a great topic today. And I just lost my topic there. So you're going to have to explain, oh, social security spousal benefits. This is important for married people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So social security spousal benefits come into play when one spouse has little to no earnings history. So in this case, their own social security benefit would be low, so they're eligible to claim a spousal benefit off the spouse that did work. Now there's a common misconception that it's one half of the higher earning spouse's amount But the actual calculation is one half of the working spouse's full retirement age amount, and the non-working spouse would then need to apply at their own full retirement age to get that full half. The working spouse can apply at any point they want to between age 62 and 70, and the spousal benefit is still going to be one half of their age 67 amount. The non-working spouse may collect as early as age 62, but then they'll receive a reduced benefit for every month they collect before age 67. Upon reaching age 67, their full retirement age, um, they no longer get a a larger benefit by waiting any longer. So if you have a working spouse that can get $3,000 a month at age 67, their full retirement age, they could also get um, $2,100 a month at 62 or $3,700 a month at age 70. But again, no matter when they, the higher-earning spouse actually collects, the spousal benefit is going to be one half of that three thousand number, which is fifteen hundred. Since that's the full retirement age amount, and then to get that full fifteen hundred, the lower-earning spouse needs to collect when they are sixty-seven, because if they collect earlier, they would get a lower amount. At age sixty-two, it would be about nine hundred seventy-five dollars uh, a month. So. The only other caveat to keep an eye on is the working spouse must be collecting Social Security for the non-working spouse to be eligible to collect a spousal benefit. So in situations where the higher earning spouse is not collecting yet because they're still working or they're waiting until they turn 70 or they're not old enough or whatever, that prevents the non-working spouse from being able to collect. If that non-working spouse has already reached age 67, then they are permanently losing benefits because again, you don't get any benefit beyond um, waiting after age 67. So this is then compounded by the fact that spousal benefits will really only last until the death of either spouse because only the higher Social Security benefit is retained by a surviving spouse. The lower benefit gets dropped when the first spouse dies. So This is one of several instances where it actually could be better to collect Social Security sooner rather than later.
2: And Harrison, you talk many times. I mean, there's so many pitfalls that people can fall into and make the wrong decision on Social Security. I mean, you mentioned some things here. I mean, it seems like there's many things that people can do. They do the wrong thing, they're not going to collect it, and you can't go back and correct it once you've picked an option, can you?
1: No, you can't. And so you used to be able to do that, not as much anymore. So, you know, you might run into a situation where, you have a spouse that's you know, 69 and they're trying to get to 70, but meanwhile, they're, the other spouse is at home, not working, um, and they're 68, and the 68-year-old isn't eligible to collect anything, but you know, they're not getting any benefit by waiting any longer. So you see situations like that where, okay, even though the older spouse is working, they probably should look at starting Social Security themselves so that their spouse can start getting a spousal benefit off of it, Um, so you know there's a lot of situations where the numbers work out where sometimes it makes sense to collect sooner sometimes it does make sense to wait but you want to know all the rules because once you you know go into a strategy you can't go back and undo it
2: and this is why it's so important because you're a Phoebe's financial planner you're not trying to sell insurance or annuities you're trying to really help people out do the best they can for retirement and I think you have a special designation for Social Security is that correct
1: yeah, so I'm a CFP, but I'm also a national social security advisor. So I understand how it works, but I also understand how it works in, you know, to the overall plan. So the tax influence of it, how it works with your other income that you have, how it will influence the withdrawals that you have. Um, because, you know, you want to get, you want to make sure you're getting the most out of social security, but really the main thing is you want to make sure that your social security benefits are going to. Complement your overall situation.
3: Yeah, I know you always talk about Harrison, is that the net cash flow that you get. So yeah, you might get more out of social security, but if you structure your income properly, I mean, you want to make sure that you're getting the most net at the end of the day, because I know how much people love paying taxes, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, California taxes, great. Uh, But you're right Chase, net present value uh, is something that you can look at for social security, or really anything that has a series of cash flow. So mortgages, pensions, you know, a lot of different things have series of cash flows. And so by understanding how to analyze that cash flow, in this case, understanding the net present value of the future social security benefits that you're going to get, you can decide how you're really going to get the most out of that. But then also, again, social security is taxed unlike anything else. And so adding that additional source of income is going to change your tax situation. But you want to make sure that it, it complements your other income as opposed to, you know, causes you to unnecessarily pay more taxes, especially if you're not getting the most out of it. Great.
2: Well, Harrison, thank you very much. We, we appreciate it. Uh, again, we'll see you in the office on Monday. Uh, thanks for being here today, and we'll see you on Monday.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday.
2: Okay. Bye bye. Again, as Harrison Johnson, uh, CFP, he is our financial planner at Will Asset Management. Uh, he does do free consultations. You just uh, call the office at 858. 858- 546 4306 or 858 546 4306. Go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com to sign up for that free consultation. And remember, he's a fee-based planner. He's not going to try to sell you life insurance annuities. He really is designed to put together a financial plan for you to maximize your retirement. So, again, give him a call or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com.
3: You know, it was interesting. I was actually watching CNBC this past week, and uh, Gary Cohn was on. And he was talking, obviously, just about the the problems with Social Security. And they're not going to cut benefits. The problem is if Social Security, the the trust runs out, essentially, they're just going to have to do deficit spending, borrow money to pay it. They're not going to just say, oh, well, our trust is out of money. They're going to (laughs) cut it. But he brought up the point. He's like, I just don't know why people – we can't change the retirement age for people that aren't even born yet. That will go a long way in saving the longevity of the Social Security, but nobody wants to touch it because it's such a – I'm going to say a. political like nightmare for somebody to say oh he wouldn't want to cut so oh you're on the chopping block for sure (laughs) so it's something that needs to be addressed but nobody wants to do it unfortunately yeah Yeah,
2: it's that's why you need a harrison johnson cfp to kind of go over all that stuff for you to make sure you're doing the best you can with social security well we want to talk about uh, nike because nike uh after 27 years they're parting ways with tiger woods i mean gosh uh, he was with nike i think it was back in uh let's see 1996 uh and in 2000 company gave a, a deal report worth 100 million dollars <laughs> yeah I, I i'm excited to take a closer look at this after the break yeah again nike symbol n-k-e we're going to take a look at nike is it a buy sell or hold we'll look at it go over the fundamentals you are listening to smart investing show with brent and chase uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back Paradise. Welcome back to the Smart Investing Show. We're going to get right back to the investing part of the show. Uh, we left off talking about Nike. So we're going to get into the fundamentals about Nike. As we said, Tiger Woods has left Nike after 27 years. It is maybe now a time to buy it? Maybe it fell. So we am going to take a look at Nike's symbol again is NKE They're in the footwear accessories. I was just going to say, did it say where he went? Uh, Footjoy. He's going to be, I guess he's been wearing Foot Joy because of his uh, situation with the accident he had. I guess he's having trouble with his feet, so he switched over to football, Foot Joy shoes. He said they're more comfortable. Interesting. I wonder how much they paid him for that. <laughs> I don't know. And, and I guess the question is, are they really more comfortable or did they get paid how much? <laughs> But what we're worried about is that's the story behind it. Should it, maybe now the time to invest in Nike? Uh, we always look at what you pay for the earnings of, of Nike, and, and we do see that there's not much short. You know, nobody's short in the stock about 1.5 percent. That's low. 83.3 percent institutional owned. They do have, unfortunately, a very expensive PE, 30.6 above the industry at 23. And these are valuation ratios. You want them lower than the industry average. You're still paying 3.2 times sales versus 2.1 for the industry. Uh, we do see price to book value eleven point seven. That is better than the industry at thirty five point one. And price to cash flow twenty two point five versus seventeen. Uh, we always look at the pig ratio. It tells you how much you're paying for the future growth of the company. Uh, the lower number, the better. Nike two point two versus four point nine. So it looks like there's some good growth going forward. Look at their earnings over the last year. They fell by three point one percent. The industry was up six point nine. Sales for Nike over the last year up five percent. The industry was down seven point four. Uh, the analysts are looking out five years saying they're looking for growth of Nike of 14.2%. That sounds pretty good, but the industry looking for growth at 245 You do get a dividend from a Nike; it's only 1.4%. They use about 40% of their earnings to pay that out. Very important always is the balance sheet. Uh, current ratio shows liquidity of the company 2.7. Better than the industry at 2.5. Debt to equity 0.9 versus 0.8. That is okay. Uh, The profit margin for Nike, they make 10.3% or 10.3 cents for every dollar they sell of shoes. Better than the industry at 6.6. Return on equity 37.5 versus 33. And a return on invested capital looked pretty good for Nike 20.1.
3: Yeah, looking here at the current price for Nike, it's $105.06. Looking at the 52-week range, uh, the high $131.31, I see the low here $88.66. I-, I believe they had some issues with inventory or China. I remember they had a- quite a large pullback at, at one point last year. Uh, looks like they have recovered slightly from that that kind of major downturn, I would say. but. When I look at the long-term chart for Nike, I was going to say, I'm I'm just impressed with it. I mean, over the last 10 years, it's up like 185%. Yeah, they've done very well. They've done very well. And when I look at the numbers here, I say I'm impressed but surprised. Reason is, it seems like they've always just traded around 30 times earnings. Mm -hmm. And even with this pullback, they're still expensive. And I say that because you go out to May 2025, I see estimated earnings per share of $4.24. Gives a target sell price of $70.38. So even with that kind of pullback from $131 down to, again, around $105, they're still trading at 25 times future earnings. An expensive business. And the thing I, I, I scratch my head on is you look at earnings growth. This year, they're looking for earnings growth of close to 12%. 2025, they're looking for earnings growth of close to 18%. So they've done a great job growing earnings. Where the heck has Nike been able to grow earnings for for this long? It's just, it's amazing. And the thing that concerns me, though, trading at 25 times earnings, all of a sudden they dip down into single earnings digit growth. You can't justify that multiple anymore. And then Nike stock just doesn't go anywhere for the next 10 years. You know, I wonder if that growth is
2: coming from, I mean, Under Armour. They've kind of disappeared. I wonder if Nike has taken a lot of share from Under Armour. I mean, I don't even see Harley and I liked Under armor. I, I don't even see
3: much anymore of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I know there's Adidas. I, I don't think they're as popular, but then obviously there's now the kind of new athleisure with Lululemon, a company Biore, which I know you're not super familiar with, but it's a, a <laughs> I know <the> Carl, name. <laughs> Carlsbad company here, I believe is where they're headquartered. So, I mean, there is kind of newer entrance into it. And if I own Nike, I would just want to understand, number one, I'm overpaying for it essentially, the valuations are high, but how do they keep these earnings continuing to grow I right. i don't understand that i mean they've been i'm going to say the premier player for many many years where is this growth continuing to come from
2: and they they could go globally they could come out new products i think they do have the the i to call them a lululemon pants or yoga pants i think they're called mm-hmm. i think they've done that i mean you, you gotta say when you're paying that much for a company 30 times earnings you gotta say well What is going to keep this growing? And if they can't have that growth, then that stock, that equity will fall in value, and you're stuck losing money because you
3: overpaid for something. And I don't know. Did the work-from-home trend really benefit them because more people were just buying yoga pants and comfy (laughs) athleisure clothes? and. You know, maybe more people are going back to the office. Is that going to hurt them? You know, there's a lot of questions I would have if I own Nike about that potential growth going forward.
2: Yeah, and I would have to say if you ha- have Nike now, I, I got to recommend you sell Nike at this point in time. Do not buy it. Uh, I just think there's other things that are better out there. And it also could be one of these situations that it, it doesn't maybe fall very much, but you could be years where you don't make very much on it either.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I'd i agree with that analysis. Well, well, let's move
2: on and talk about uh, HPE, which is uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprises. Uh, they stepped in and they bought Juniper Networks. And this is so important because, um, actually, they, they're going to pay, I'll give you some numbers here, $40 a share cash, or about $14 billion, uh, about a 32% premium. Uh, the reason why they're buying it is because of AI. They're trying to get in the AI business. But what I don't like is Juniper was a... Tech Darling, back in the tech boom years, that stock was over $200 a share. And what I like looking back on it, it's kind of an example for people not to pay too much for companies, because of that, at that peak, that hype 200, it never saw that again. It would trade between, I think, like 25 to maybe 35. Uh, again, it's being bought for $40 a share uh, cash, but that is now gonna disappear, so you won't be able to look at that any longer since uh, Hewlett Packard is going to um, pull it up. And you know you know what I didn't do, Chase? I didn't, I didn't put it in my system here. Uh, I will say while you're you pulling what that- Do you do? I was gonna say. Uh,
3: and while you're pulling that up, I was gonna say for Juniper Networks, it, it doesn't seem like a bad deal, though. It, at $40 a share, I pulled up Juniper Networks. Juniper is estimated to make about $2.34 in 2024. That would be a 17 times forward multiple. And I don't know if they have any potential integration savings, cost savings on the plan where they might be able to make that even more accretive. It, it could be a good deal for them if they're, they're able to, you know, collect that cash flow and... and they didn't pay a hefty premium, I guess, is, is the, the moral of the story I want to get to.
2: And I was hoping I, I'm going to look at these numbers because Hewlett Packard, don't think this is the one that does the printers and so forth. This is enterprises. I'm hoping when, when I'm looking at some numbers here, you can maybe look up what they they do at Hewlett Packard yeah. Enterprises. So coming again is a Hewlett Packard Enterprise symbol HPE and the communications equipment, uh, only 2.9% short on the float, 84% institutional owned. Now, I like seeing this, PE ratio, 10.3 versus 21.8. That's a great price on the PE. Price of sales looks good, 0.7 versus 1.7. Price of book value, 1 versus 2.7. Price of cash flow, is 4.7 versus 11.6. And even the peg forward ratio, 3.5 versus 4.2. So got some great valuation ratios here. Good start to maybe invest into HPE. Now the earnings, wow, one year up 133%, well above the industry at 18.3. Sales were up 2.2. That's good because the industry at 11.3. Five-year growth rate, not looking too good. Maybe the purchase of Juniper will change this, but they're looking for a five-year growth rate of only 2.5%. Now, you do get a decent dividend with the Hewlett Packard Enterprises. 3.3%, you only use 31% of earnings to, to pay that out. Let's take a look at the balance sheet, current ratio 0.9 versus 1.7, that's okay debt equity 0.6 versus 2.6 i'm not sure where they're getting that cash what i say it was a 14 17 billion dollars i think 14 billion i'm not sure if they have that cash on their balance sheet or not or do they have to borrow it which would raise their debt level so i want to be careful of that net profit margin 7 versus 8.4 and return to equity Wish this was higher 9.6 versus 27.8
3: yeah, give me an idea of, uh, again, what HPE does and Hewlett Packard, Packard Enterprise Company. What they actually do here is they provide solutions that allow customers to capture, analyze, and act upon data seamlessly in the Americas, Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, and also to Japan. They have six seg- segments here compute, HPC, oh, better buy it, and AI. They are there. <laughs> Storage, intelligent edge, financial services, and corporate investments and others. So, I mean, it's kind of hodgepodge of different things. So you really have to look through the, I'd say the company's website, look through their products and services to find out a little bit more what they're doing and see if they will be a benefactor here as we move forward. Looking at the current price though, for again, HPE, it's $15.89. I see the 52-week low here, wow, $13.66 and the 52-week high, $18.14. Now, if we go forward for HPE, they do report on a fiscal basis. So we go out to October 2025. I see estimated earnings per share of $2.13. Give us the target sell price here at $35.36 means the company trades at under eight times future earnings. I, I, the numbers I'm going to say, tell me by, but you know, there's more research that needs to be done, but I, I didn't see, I don't think a number that was overly concerning. Uh, one thing I will point out is that where
2: are they gonna get that $14 billion of yeah. cash? what to the balance sheet, they only have cash in their balance sheet of $4.2 uh, billion. They could have some long-term a- assets they could sell. My guess is they're gonna borrow the money to get to that $14 billion. You wanna look, is that gonna throw them on a kilter? Now their debt to equity is too high. Could the debt weigh down on them? I, I think it's worth the research because I like the company, I like what they're doing. Um, and he said the numbers look pretty good, so worth the research to say, even with taking on new debt, I think this could be
3: a buy. Yeah, and you can kind of do some work on on the Juniper to see how much they're gonna take on in terms of the goodwill, because goodwill is gonna be anything above the book value of Juniper. So you'd wanna look and see, well, what's the book value of Juniper? As I said, the the earnings look, I'm gonna say good for Juniper, but you'd wanna look at the balance sheet, see if they are gonna have to absorb any of that debt. You know, the acquisition could be problematic, but I I think from a valuation standpoint, it's a good acquisition for HPE potentially depending how it integrates into what they're currently doing but i i'm going to say i'm impressed that, that that's where i would leave it and i, I would say it's worth watching and, and doing more research
2: and also too i mean i don't know we didn't look at uh, uh, juniper networks but they probably have some cash maybe they have a few billion dollars of cash too that they'll pick up so as we're kind of saying, we like what we're seeing here, worth the research. And and please, don't think this is Hewlett Packard that does the printer cartridges that, well, that you think eventually will be gone. And actually, they have a way of doing it now that I think they're making good money off it, so I shouldn't knock that either.
3: Yeah, I I, I haven't looked at HP Inc. in a long time. So I'm Maybe next week we'll look at
2: HP Inc. because I know we spend a lot on Ink and then we pay them a certain dollar amount or something. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll look at that. But uh, again, Hewlett uh, Packard Enterprises with a purchase of Juniper looks like definitely worth the time to maybe invest in that. You I, I don't believe they'll stop that dividend. Still get a 3% dividend.
3: I will say there is a reason obviously it's trading at under 8 times earnings. I'd want to understand why people don't like it. You know, there there yep. could be some potential growth issues or could be they're just not competitive. It, there's a reason it trades at 8 times earnings or under 8 times earnings. You got to understand why that is and also to does it make sense to invest in this business? Is there potential for multiple expansion going forward? Because it looks like they will have earnings growth as well, at least estimated by analysts. So I don't think they'll trade at eight times earnings forever, especially if they're growing.
2: And one thing you could do is if you like uh, HPE, what you may want to do is buy Juniper. Uh, You've got around 36, 37. Uh, When the deal goes through, you're going to get probably about a 10% premium. You can then use that to perhaps buy HPE, and make money twice. I mean, you probably pay tax on that, so be careful of that, but yep. just a, just an idea that that might work for you.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little merger arbitrage that, that you can kind of do. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, we're gonna talk next about uh, Microsoft, but
2: I thought before we do that, we'd turn over and talk about real estate. And for that, we turn to our real estate expert, Robert Bihick who is president of Countywide Mortgage Lending. Robert, how you doing today?
0: I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you today? Good, good. Well,
2: I I like this topic today. It's something to even think about, but self-employed surge of home buyers. Why why all of a sudden the surge in self-employed buyers?
0: That's a great question. Actually, we're seeing because of uh, this bank statement program that we've just rolled out, where self-employed people that have a year's worth of business And they can use their income based on what they put through their business. We have to get a letter from their CPA or their tax person. uh, But legitimately, instead of having a tax return, uh, it qualifies them to buy a house. Robert, I I,
2: got to say, like, one-year business, that seems very, I'll say forgiving, very gracious. (laughs) Risky. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: am trying to be nice (laughs) there. So these are not with low down payments. They require 20% down, right? They want some skin in the game and they want to know that you're in business.
2: 20% is not, isn't that the norm or no?
0: No, we wish. No, nowadays (laughs) it's usually 10% down, some 5% down, some 0% down. Wow. Uh, But for these self-employed folks, definitely. 20 to 25%, depending on credit depending on what they do. Now, if they have two years of uh, bank statements, well, they'll even get a better rate. So there's a lot of different options, but folks don't even know these are out there, and uh, it's it's definitely an option. And I do remember rather recently,
2: if you were self-employed, it was many times hard to get a house, and I think what you're saying is that the, the rules of the game have changed dramatically.
0: As... Um, Chase said I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: Is there a lot more paperwork to it or I mean what does a self-employed person it, have to do? It's
0: actually less. We, you know you have to be in business. You got to be a real business person so uh, business license and we need uh, bank statements to show consistency. But there's even uh, some businesses that are uh, cyclical, where they, you know, they do really well either in the winter time or the summertime, and we'll average that too. So it just it's uh, interesting that we're seeing just a huge wave of this come through right now, of self-employed folks either trying to finally get back into a house or do something, and, and it's it's uh, helping.
3: And Robert, you're telling me this is in California.
0: I'm telling you, this is in Orange County, San Diego, you darn right.
3: (laughs) I got to say, I'm shocked. Normally, California likes to make things difficult, so that's that's a benefit. And yeah, I know Brent mentioned it already, but the the fact that, you know, self-employed people, I know it's been difficult because, you know, you have different ways. You have the S corporation where it could kind of change your incomes. It it sounds like it could be a great program for, you know, self-employed people that are looking to buy that house. It's an option, for sure.
2: And, Robert, Chase brought up a thing, too. Uh, Sub-S Corporation. uh, There's sole proprietor. There's partners. I mean, does it matter? LLCs. LLCs. Does it matter? It
0: it does matter based on what your percentage ownership is. Okay. So we want to make sure, like, you have a stream. You're actually doing this. This is more for, you know, Joe Sixpack, the guy who's got a couple – uh, small businesses, and uh, I, we're working with a gentleman right now who is a drywall hanger. You know, he's been doing it for twenty years, and uh, he's going to buy his first house. So good for him!
2: And, and Robert, I'm thinking too that this probably takes a, a, an expert on the mortgage side to do this because you don't want to go to any Joe Smo, you know, mortgage broker because there's special needs on this that you really need to know what you're doing as a mortgage broker.
0: There's not uh, a lot of people that even offer this. Quite frankly, so yes, it is. It's a specialty for sure.
2: Yeah, and then you don't want to go to somebody that says, "Oh yeah, we can do that." They really. And I've I've been, uh, as I said last week, I'm older than you, but I, I I've been around for a long time, more experience. <laughs> I, I have more experience. <laughs> thank you. But there is times like you talk to somebody, oh yeah, I can do that, and you realize that no, I should have wanted somebody that had the experience, like Robert at Countywide Mortgage Lending, because they knew how to do it. This other guy didn't.
0: That's for sure. Yeah, we so. usually get other people's problems because that's exactly what happens.
2: And then you got to fix those problems, don't you?
0: Uh, that's that's my gray hair, yes, sir. <laughs>
2: well, I'm sure right now people uh, are thinking, well, how do I get hold of Robert? Because I'm self-employed, I want to do this. Uh, Robert, what's the best way to people get hold of you to, to do this?
0: Uh, Either our, our website will put you right through to us, which is countywidemtg.com. dot com. That countywidemtg.com, or our phone number is 760-746-7388.
2: And what's that number again?
0: 760-746-7388. Great.
2: Well, Robert, thank you very much. That's some great information for self-employed people. If maybe somebody's not self-employed, they know somebody who is, let them know about it.
0: Robert, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your morning. Bye. All
2: right.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty. Uh, Oh, I I did want to say, as well, I know we we appreciate Robert joining us. He is, again, from Countywide Mortgage Lending, which is a division of Golden Empire Mortgage, Inc., NMLS number one one zero four five eight five licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Countywide Mortgage Lending is an equal housing lender and proud member of the BBB. So thanks again, Robert, for the information. It's definitely something interesting. I had no idea that was going on. And I've talked to a lot of self-employed people where it's always difficult to get a loan because your wages are different. You're not a W-2 employee. Yeah, it, it,
2: it. I remember times like, "Oh, you're self-employed. Sorry, don't don't even bother to apply." So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad Robert brought it up to change for self-employed. Give him a call. All right, uh, we talked about this past week where Microsoft and Apple are dealing for the number one spot for uh,
3: market capitalization. Uh, that the what is that one?
2: a two point what is it gosh i think it's like
3: it's very it's very close to three trillion (laughs) trillion, (laughs) i'm gonna say it's let's (laughs) see microsoft right now appears to have a market cap of 2.887 trillion and i think apple is currently just a little bit higher looks like their market cap is 2.89 trillion so i mean they're they're neck and neck and microsoft and them have again been kind of battling for it i think apple has held the crown for the last year and a half Also, Saudi Aramco held that crown for a little bit. Microsoft has held it in the past. I think last time was 2018 or 2021 was the last time Microsoft held it, but.
2: I thought this would be a good time to kind of look at the numbers on Microsoft because Microsoft has done extremely well. It's a very well-known company, again, vying for the first spot for market cap. Is it a good investment or not? Is there any value here? So let's take a look at a Microsoft symbol as MSFT, then the software infrastructure industry. Only 0.7% float on the short side. Only 73% institutional owned. I thought it'd be higher than that. But you do have some high valuations here. PE ratio 37.7 versus 48. Price of sales 13.3 versus 9.3. Price to book value. versus 90 for the industry so that was a positive there for microsoft price of cash flow 30.5 versus 29.3 and the peg ratio 2.3 for microsoft not as good as the industry at 2.1 so you are paying more more for the growth of microsoft and the industry now their earnings have gone up by 14.7 percent over the past year that is not as good as the industry up 20.7 and sales also sales are up seven percent that's good but the industry is up 11.6%. So you're paying a lot for Microsoft. And they're not delivering as good as the industry. Now, you do see a five-year growth rate from the analysts of 15.4%. That also, too, not as good as the industry. at 16.6%. They do pay a dividend yield of 0.8%. Use 26% of their earnings to pay that out. On the balance sheet, you got a current ratio of 1.7%. About the same as the industry at one8 Their debt-to-equity, very good. 04 versus 2.1%. Net profit margin from Microsoft is extremely high, 35.3 versus 19.6. Means for every dollar they bring in, they keep $0.35 cents of that dollar. And we on equity from Microsoft, 34.9 versus 35.2. Chase, what do you got going forward here?
3: Yeah, so current price here for Microsoft is $388.47. I see the 52-week low, wow, $230.68. in the high right near that level at $390.68. Over the last year, it's done tremendous, especially with all this AI hype. Of about 62.9% over that time period. Now we go forward for Microsoft. It looks like they do also report on a fiscal basis. So we're actually gonna look at for their business here June 2025, I see estimated earnings per share of $12.88. If we look at that, we get a target sell price of. 213 dollars and 81 cents so again well below the current price of 388 the reason that's so off is they they traded a forward pe multiple of about 30 times now they are expected to generate good earnings growth this year looking for earnings growth of 14 percent next year looking for earnings growth of 15 percent but what that means is they've gotten a lot of stock appreciation from multiple expansion if they just maintain let's say a stock multiple of 30 times that means that their stock really can't grow more than 15 percent per year or whatever their earnings growth is. And I just don't think you should be paying more than 30 times earnings for this company. I think it's more likely to have multiple contraction versus multiple expansion, which could be a big problem for the stock. And also, too, the stock has to deliver and the earnings growth has to be there for the business.
2: And, and they did take a big move because of the AI story that they have. Uh, we have seen, I think it's uh, New York Times has a lawsuit against Microsoft now? Is that yeah. What
3: it was? yeah, they have a lawsuit against Microsoft and OpenAI for the ChatGPT kind of, I'm gonna say stealing the content from <laughs> uh, the New York Times to, to use that large language model that they, they have for the, the ChatGPT.
2: And that content, was written by humans, and what they're saying is like, hey, if you want that, you got to pay for it. Uh, and,
3: and, again, I've heard, and we've been
2: saying this, that we think the AI is for real, but I think the hype is more than it should be. I've seen other analysts starting to come out saying, yeah, we, we think it's a little bit more. We're not going to quite get the earnings that you think you're going to get from AI. So could this be a problem for Microsoft? Because, again, great business, but it's really perhaps pushed the uh, price up uh, above where it should be.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's there's no doubt about it. It's, it's an expensive company at this point.
2: And, and, and I know you remember the numbers better than I do, the years. it was a time that Microsoft, I think for like 15 years, had no growth at all in the stock price. It just stayed level for quite a while. Do you remember
3: those years? Yeah, I, I, it was during the tech boom, and then the subsequent bust. So when it busted, I think it was about from 2000, to 2015, Microsoft was essentially dead money if you invest in the peak at that time.
2: And, and during that time frame, they were growing the earnings, but the earnings are playing catch up to the high valuations. They're trying to fill in those high valuations. So you're for 15 years, you made no profits on owning microsoft stock i, I guess you got a small dividend maybe
3: yeah i mean even if you look at saying okay the stock were to trade at 25 times earnings which is still expensive that means the stock would fall from 388 to 322. so you have to understand there. there's two kind of components here yes they could have earnings growth but also, too, that multiple for what you're paying for that earnings growth could be changing from 30 times to 25 times, which my, people might be saying, ah, yeah, I just don't want to pay 30 times earnings for a company that I'm only getting 14 15% earnings growth. It's expensive. And, right. you know, Microsoft, great business. Uh, you know, I, I use a lot of their products. I use the office. I, I, I think it is a, a great company. It's just, it's pricey. There, there's no other way to spend it.
2: Yeah, when you're pricey, you've got to keep delivering, delivering. And if you can't, that stock price will fall or bounce around for years to come and you'll collect the dividend i think the dividend was what 0.8 percent so not a whole lot there so whoop to do yeah i know 0.8 percent Well, i can't wait for that one that'd be great yeah so and this is why it's so important to understand the fundamentals of the uh, the numbers of the business because on a short term the stock market can be a crazy place eventually everything goes back to the norm Based on what you're paying for those earnings and the cash flow of a business, and again, we are long-term investors. Not we're not stock traders trying to you know make money next week. We're we're saying let's be a long-term investor and do well over time.
3: Yeah, and I'm still just really curious what's going to happen with this whole OpenAI and, and ChatGPT thing because you know the issue is if New York Times wins this lawsuit. <laughs> There's going to be other players that come in and, and, and want money.
2: Oh, exactly. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. It should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858 858- Five four six four three zero six, And be sure to listen to the podcast at our website. A lot of ways to get to the podcast there. Smartinvesting2000.com Again, smartinvesting2000.com A lot of great information there along the newsletter. Go to smartinvesting2000.com We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. so
1: amusing to think that I did all that and may I say